Today on Blue 58, the New England Patriots come to Lambeau Field this weekend for the first time since 2014. Things aren't going well in New England so far this season, but they could still be a dangerous team. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. The Packers renew acquaintances with the New England Patriots this weekend. The first time they've seen the Patriots since 2018, and the first time they've had them at Lambeau Field since 2014. Things have changed quite a bit since the Packers last saw the Patriots on both sides of the ball. The Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl the last time the Packers played them. The last time, well, I guess what the Packers went on to was firing their coach midseason and then going through a whole bunch of structural and organizational changes since then. Blah, blah, blah. You know the story from there. It's been a bit of a time of change in in Green Bay since the Packers last played them. But also things have changed quite a bit in New England as well. Tom Brady, of course, no longer with the Patriots because the Packers just saw him as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. And they've been trying to sort out what things look like in the post-Tom Brady era ever since. And if you just look at this season, things don't look particularly great. 25th in scoring offense, 22nd in scoring defense. They're not moving the ball particularly well. Their passing game is not super effective. Their running game is better, but not fantastic. It it just hasn't been great for the Patriots. And they come to Lambeau Field pretty injured. Mac Jones is probably not going to go this weekend, though apparently he's telling people that they shouldn't be surprised if he plays this weekend. We'll believe it when we see it. They've got a host of other guys that are beat up. Kyle Duggar, their third-year safety, who who came into the NFL with some fanfare. We'll talk about him during our defense section. He's one of many who are limited in practice this week. Just looking at Pro Football Reference, their list of guys who are limited this week is about, it looks like about 13 names long, 11 names long. It's a lot. They're pretty dinged up. And it's the sort of, the sort of hurt that it's not that they have just tons and tons of guys on injured reserve, though they've got five of them right now. But, man... It just is the the sort of little things that just adds up and adds up and adds up. And it actually kind of reminds me of the 2018 Packers season. If we circle back to that, just little things on top of little things on top of little things. And that leads them to Green Bay where the Packers are, I don't want to say ascending right now, but it seems like they're starting to get things a little bit together. And yet, for all that, I'm still a little bit nervous about the Patriots. It's not so much that there's any particular thing that they do or even seem capable of doing that scares me. It's just that in a one-game situation, could Bill Belichick come up with something that could sting the Packers? It feels like, yes, that is the answer. Like, he could. Something could happen, especially if the Packers are facing an unfamiliar quarterback in Brian Hoyer, especially if they're going against Matt Patricia, who is, well, we'll talk about Matt Patricia as an offensive play caller here in a second. The Patriots can run the ball. 
they've got an offensive line that can can move people around in the run game from time to time. Maybe, maybe they just go ultra heavy and, and try to really throw something unusual at the Packers. But maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here too. Maybe the result here is just so obvious that, well, maybe we shouldn't overthink it. The line right now is Packers by nine and a half. It seems to be there's there's pretty strong external confidence about the state of the Packers as it pertains to matching up against the uh, the New England Patriots. So let's dig into the Patriots, starting with their offense. If you want to start with their scheme, your guess is as good as mine. Bill Belichick had Matt Patricia and Joe Judge rotating play-calling duties in the preseason. The spin-the-bottle game landed on Matt Patricia. He's doing it now for the Patriots, which is a bit of an odd choice. He's been coaching at the college level or the NFL level since two or since 1996. Started at age 22 and has been doing it pretty much every year since then. Had a couple years off between 96 and 99. Arrived in the NFL at age 30. He's been doing something either with the Patriots or Lions ever since. But other than 2004 and 2005, where he was the an offensive assistant, exact duties unknown, and the assistant offensive line coach, Patricia's been on the defensive side his entire career. He was the linebackers coach for the Patriots from 2006 through 2010, Coached safeties in 2011, was the defensive coordinator from 2012 through 2017, was with the Lions from 2018 through 2020, and then rejoined the Patriots in 2021, first as an assistant head coach, now as the offensive line slash senior advisor for the Patriots, whatever that means. And now he's calling plays. And looking just broadly at their scheme, it seems like they're trying to do some stuff that is common to teams from the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan tree a little bit, but they're not really going all the way. And so that kind of leaves you with an offense without much of an identity. Which kind of leads us to Brian Hoyer, who takes over as the Patriots starting quarterback this week due to a apparently pretty serious ankle injury to Mac Jones. You ever heard of the phrase nominative nominative determinism? It's a funny little psychological theory. I don't even know if psychological is the right way to put it. But basically, it it says that your name kind of determines a little bit about how your life ends up going. And I bring that up because my Acme Packing Company colleague, Paul Noonan, brought to everyone's attention this week that Brian Hoyer's first name actually isn't Brian. It's Axel, Axel Hoyer. And I bring that up relative to... Hoyer, because it kind of goes a long way towards explaining how concerned I am about facing Hoyer. If we were facing Axel Hoyer this weekend, I think I'd be a little bit more scared about him. But Brian Hoyer, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. And he really hasn't done a whole lot throughout the NFL. He's been kind of, there was a time in the NFL where he was kind of this secret superstar backup quarterback. Everyone was talking about how sneaky good uh, Brian Horry was based on some of his advanced stats and how well he performed in some small stints. And that is true. He was good um, in small stints before, but it's never really materialized into anything bigger. 
he's never really had a long-term sort of starting role. There's never even really been a, cir- a circumstance where it's been like a, a Matt Flynn sort of thing where somebody's like, we're going to really give it a shot with Brian Hoyer and see how that goes. It just hasn't happened for him. And maybe that's because his name isn't Axel Hoyer. I mean, think about it. So nominative determinism says that if your name is something like, well, the, the example that always comes up is if your name is Dennis, you're slightly more likely to become a dentist. And people think that's because you associate those things together all the time because you're hearing Dennis and it sounds like dentist and stuff like that. But I think people go a little bit farther with it and say, if you've got a cool name, you end up doing cool things. For instance, I always think of Joe Montana. Joe Montana is a cool name. He was almost destined to become a superstar quarterback. But think how cool his name would have been if it was Axel Montana. Joe Montana is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Axel Montana probably becomes the president of the universe by now. Brian, it's not too late. You could still become the Axel you're supposed to be. may want to consider that before Sunday. In any case, career backup, Brian slash Axel Hoyer comes to Green Bay this weekend. And it probably is going to go a long way toward determining how the, the Patriots offense goes. And I think where it's going to end up going is more towards the run game which, if you look at their offensive line, may not be such a bad idea. Their offensive line is currently ESPN's 11th ranked unit by pass block win rate. The Packers are 13th for comparison. If you look, though, a little bit deeper into the numbers, the tackles appear to be pretty well graded by some other services like Pro Football Focus, but their interior guys, guards and centers, not so much. Especially weak are guards Cole Strange and center David Andrews. Can you think of anybody on the Packers who might be interested in that information? Kenny Clark seems to have a nice matchup this week. But when it comes to run blocking, the Patriots actually do pretty well. Now, ESPN has them low at 27th. The Packers are 13th for comparison in their run block win rate metric, which seems to pan out pretty well week to week. But individually, the Patriots' run blockers all grade out pretty well. No starter is lower than the mid-60s in their run-blocking grade, according to Pro Football Focus, and many of them are much higher. The Patriots can run the ball, at least in theory, if they stay close enough in a game to make that happen. In the passing game, Jacoby Myers leads in targets, Nelson Aguilar leads in yards, and Devontae Parker is also involved in the offense. We'll talk about exactly why I bring him up here in a second. Myers, though, 6'2", 200 pounds, almost had 900 yards for the Patriots last year, kind of their top target by their by default. Not an overwhelming athlete, ran like 4'6", range in the 40. Nelson Aguilar was an elite slot a couple years ago for the Raiders. Uh, 2020, he had almost 900 yards uh, for the Raiders, but was middling for them last year. Devontae Parker is hilarious, and I bring him up just because I want to st- share this interesting nugget with you. He's averaging 27.6 yards per catch this year. On six catches, not bad, but he's only caught six of the 14 targets to come his way. That is bad. It's, uh, well, that's worse than half. That's not, even even Marquez Valdez-Scantling says, come on, buddy, you got to pick it up a little bit on those deep targets. But 27.6 is nothing to sneeze at, so if he can get deep, watch out. The run game, as we've kind of said, fine enough. I mostly wonder if they just haven't been able to do it enough because they've been losing quite a bit. They weren't really in their week one game against the Dolphins, 20-7, to the final score there. They lose to the Patriots, 
26, so they're probably passing quite a bit to, to catch up there. They do win in week two against the Steelers, a close 17-14 game. 4.3 yards per carry as a team on the ground for the Patriots so far this year. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevens are both pretty successful individually. 4.6 and 5 yards per carry respectively. Harris has always been a little bit of a grinder. 4-6, 40-yard range in the 40. Stevens, though, bad tester, another 4-6 range guy, but 230 pounds and can run with the, the power that you would expect for someone that size. If you're looking for individual guys you should know about, he's not particularly noteworthy and is, in fact, on injured reserve right now, but I'm going to talk about Ty Montgomery right here. Week one, he had three catches, 15 yards, and a touchdown. Two carries, negative two yards, currently wearing number 14 for the Patriots. That is what's called a tease. We will come back to him a little bit later because he has actually a little bit of a connection to this this Packers-Patriots game. How do the Packers stop the Patriots' offense? Oddly enough, it's not all that different, though for very different reasons, than their game plan against the Buccaneers last year. Last week, excuse me. I think the Packers have to find a way to make Brian Hoyer beat them. If you can shut down the running game, force the Patriots to have to pass, and then just pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, targeting those weak links on their offensive line, I think you're in pretty good shape. I think you put Kenny Clark inside more. I think we're going to see less Kenny Clark at end and more Kenny Clark at three technique or maybe straight up nose than we've seen over the first few weeks of the season. And I think maybe we see more Quay Walker up the middle too. The Packers have run what in the Mike Zimmer tree, or I guess in general is called a mug front a few times with Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker together. That's the 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 double A-gap blitz. It's the two linebackers coming right up the middle on either side of the center. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that a little bit more this week. So Kenny Clark inside, Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell up the middle. Seems like a good plan to me. Stop the run, force them to pass, get after them up the middle when they do pass. The Patriots' defense centers around Bill Belichick for good and ill, I think. Belichick has always been a bit of a defensive mastermind. Scheme for him is not really important, which sounds strange to say, because when you make your money on defense and you're like a tactical genius, scheme has to matter. But for him, it's a different sort of thing. You can call his approach multiple if you want to put a name on it. He runs different fronts, split fronts or something with uh, with Bell Belichick that you don't really see with other people quite as much. He'll run a one-gap scheme on one side and a two-gap scheme on another, though he continues to evolve and change over the years. The thing that you have to really pull out of the, the Bill Belichick defensive approach came through very strong in um, the games that changed the game, our, our book club book from this spring. In that um, in that book, Ron Jaworski and others, and I guess the, the Patriots too, referred to their defensive approach as a bullseye defense. Basically, they're going to put a bullseye on the thing that you do really well and try to take it away from you. And that seems really basic, but it turns out to be really hard. You would think that everyone is going to try to do that, and everybody kind of does, but it's a hard thing to do week in and week out to the extent that Bill Belichick and the Patriots at their peak were able to do it. I was thinking about that this week, though. 
what exactly, if you were going to try to take away the thing that the Packers do best right now, would you target? That's an interesting question, I think. Because I'm not sure the Packers are have one thing that is just like they're screaming bread and butter, like we do this really well and we're going to keep coming back to it right now. So what you might end up doing if you're trying to put a bullseye on somebody is go after Aaron Rodgers and try to get Aaron Rodgers to do dumb things. And the dumbest thing I think Aaron Rodgers has done so far this season is just get addicted to the checkdowns and the short throws. If you can get Aaron Rodgers to continue to throw short just forever, the Packers offense becomes inefficient and it becomes easier for you to stick around in a game. The Patriots secondary is a little bit of a mess right now. Jonathan Jones, their corner, is doing really good so far this season. Seventh-year man currently graded at a 90 in coverage by Pro Football Focus. That doesn't entirely add up to me, though. There is good and bad to his stats this year and his performance. Two passes defense to one interception through three games. Not too bad. But he's allowed six catches on nine targets, and he's allowed 15.2 yards per reception on those catches. But I think he's about as good as it gets in the Patriots secondary. So if you set aside the grades and you just look for a good player, he's their best player in the secondary right now. They do have a little bit of pass rushing juice. Six-year man, Deatrick Wise, has four sacks through three games. It's a little bit of a fake stat line. He's only got nine pressures on 91 pass rushes, so he's under a 10% pressure rate. He is getting a couple sacks now and then, though, and he is their best pass rush guy. Christian Barmore has also been respective too. And with some uncertainty on the interior for the Packers, he is probably worth watching as well. Patriots run defense though is bad. 4.8 yards per carry on the year so far this year. Defensive lineman Davin Godcho is the only starting defensive lineman, edge rusher, or linebacker graded above a 65 in run defense by Pro Football Focus. That is abysmal. If your best players against the run are backup safeties and cornerbacks, you're in trouble, especially against a team like the Packers that will run the ball just to run it sometimes and has really done that a lot this year. He's injured this week and may not play, but I would direct your attention towards Kyle Duggar just as an interesting storyline, if nothing else. He's a good example of a lot of things working together in a draft miss. He was the 37th pick in the 2020 NFL draft from a real school, real small school, Lenore Ryan, um, but was a highly, highly regarded product, prod, prospect. We got there. Highly regarded prospect. 958 relative athletic score all over the field in college, 52 ball hawks, just making plays on the ball left and right. And the the thinking always with a guy like that is, well, if he can put it together, you might really have something. If he can make the jump to the NFL level, you might really have something. And he really hasn't so far. He's been good, but not great. And that's fine. That sort of things happens. But eight picks later, Antoine Winfield Jr. goes to the Buccaneers, and he has been quite good in Tampa without qualification, without good but not great type stuff. He's just been a good player, Pro Bowl caliber player for Tampa. And that shows the stakes and how close it can even be between getting a draft pick that's good, like Winfield, and a draft pick that even in year three, you're just like, 
do we have anything here at all? And not knowing, even when he's got great physical tools like Kyle Duggar does. If the Packers want to attack the Patriots defense, I say this is another game where they've just got to hammer the run and then try to isolate guys on the outside as the Patriots adjust. The Packers can run well and run well enough to even commit to the run in such a way that it's going to make the the stat nerds really kind of cringe a little bit because a run is a suboptimal play statistically most of the time. But the Packers can run well enough that there are times when it breaks close to even. And if the Patriots are going to be as bad as they've been against the run, the Packers can afford to play that way until the Patriots adjust. And if and when they do adjust, then you let loose the speed on the outside. And if the Patriots allow it to happen, please, please, Green Bay Packers, I'm begging you, turn Christian Watson loose. Let him show that that hamstring is feeling better. Let him run. Let him go deep. No more lateral targets for Christian Watson, at least not as much as we've seen. Get him down the field, please. Patriots special teams, real quick here. Nick Folk is their kicker, 38 years old, 3 of 4 on the season. Fourth season in New England, also his fourth NFL team. Came into the NFL the same year as Mason Crosby, though was drafted around ahead of him. Their punter, fourth-year man Jacob Bailey, all-pro punter in 2020, but fell back to earth for reasons that were not really out of, in his control in 2021. He had a staggering three punts blocked in 2021. And related to that, I would like to make a prediction that the Packers, at some point this season, are going to block a punt or a field goal. They've been very close especially last week, very, very close, several times. And I think this might be the week. In fact, in addition to that yearly prediction, I'm going to say it's going to happen this week. The Packers are going to block a kick, a punt or a field goal, against the New England Patriots. And if it's getting late in the game and that prediction hasn't come true, I'm really going to need somebody on the Packers kick return team to take one for the team and try to go up and block a kickoff because I'm going to count that as a win too. Kick returner. Doesn't really matter. No regular kick returner for the Patriots this year. Four different guys have returned a kick already heading into week four. I wouldn't be worried about it either way. Their punt returner is defensive back Miles Bryant. He has returned seven punts through three games, averaging 6.6 yards per return. He's a little bit of an oddity. In addition to being five foot eight and 180 pounds, here in his third year in the NFL is apparently the first time he has ever returned punts. Never has done it in the NFL, and I found no statistical evidence of him doing it in college either. Weird sort of things happen in uh, in New England from time to time. But I sort of teased it up top, and I would like to circle back to it now. Let's talk about the last time the Packers and Patriots played. Week 9 of the 2018 season, the Packers were heading to New England in the midst of a tough, tough stretch on their schedule. So even before things started to go south for the Packers in 2018, you could look at about a five-game stretch after their bye week where things were going to be were going to be pretty tough because they had their bye, then immediately after the bye they go to Los Angeles, then they head all the way back across the country and go to New England. They're home against the Miami Dolphins, then they've got a Thursday night matchup against the Seattle Seahawks and then in Seattle and then they travel again to Minnesota. 
four road games in five weeks against four pretty darn good teams, including on the road against the Rams and the Patriots. Now, things were already not going particularly well by the time the Packers got to their bye. In week eight, the first game after their bye week, they were playing the the Rams pretty tough and were only down two with about two minutes to go when Ty Montgomery did the thing that we all remember Ty Montgomery for. Brought the kickoff out of the end zone instead of just taking a knee, fumbled the ball, Rams recover, game over from there. Ty Montgomery gets traded the next week. That's his connection to the Packers-Patriots game that I talked about earlier. Also following him out of town is HaHa Clinton Dix, who gets traded to Washington that same week. And to fill in for HaHa Clinton Dix in the back end, the Packers turn to 35-year-old Jermon Williams to play free safety. Also making his Packers debut this week is cornerback Bashad Breland, who you might remember uh, for his brief stint with the Packers that season. And much like the previous week, the Packers really hung hung tough with uh, the Patriots through three quarters. But on the first play of the fourth quarter, Aaron Jones fumbles, and the Patriots go down and score. Next drive, Packers get the ball ball back, three and out. Patriots go down and score again. 55-yard touchdown to Josh Gordon, also kind of coming into his own with the New England Patriots before being suspended again later in the season. Uh, Who does he beat going deep? Tremont Williams, who took a bad angle on uh, on a tackle. Gordon gets loose, cruises 55 yards for a score, and the Packers end up losing 31-17. to There's an interesting play that kind of summed up the late Mike McCarthy era um, late in the, the Patriots' drive, final drive of the game. So the Packers, after the, the Patriots go up 31-17, to get the ball back, don't really go anywhere. They have a long, almost four-minute drive three-and-a-half-minute drive as they're trying to get the ball down the field. Just cannot get the ball deep. Eventually, they turn it over on fourth and four, whatever. It was it was academic at that point anyway. Patriots get the ball back, run a play. The Packers call their second timeout. Coming out of that timeout, what happens to the Green Bay Packers? They are flagged for a truly embarrassing penalty. Too many men on the field. Out of a timeout. How is that possible? Just the sort of thing that was all too common late in the Mike McCarthy era. So how do the Packers win this game? What is their path to victory here? Pretty simple, much like last week. Run the ball effectively. Take advantage when the Patriots adjust. And score enough to get ahead to the extent that you make their bad quarterbacks try to come back on you. I think it's pretty simple. And I think the Packers are going to do it. I think the Packers are going to win and win pretty handily here this week. Though I did pick in our my weekly picks this week, the Patriots to cover. Nine and a half points is a pretty big spread. I just have felt a little bit uncertain about the Packers putting teams away. So maybe the Patriots pull it to within nine and a half late. I think the Packers are not super worried about, though. There'd be a maybe a bad beat backdoor cover, something like that. It... it don't read that as any sort of reflection of my confidence about the Packers winning because I think they're going to win and I think they're going to win pretty pretty handily. I know I said I'm nervous and you know it is it is a sort of nervous thing playing against Bill Belichick just because of who he is and, and what he's done in the NFL but I don't think the Patriots have the horses to get it done. 
I just don't think that they can hang with the Packers as they are presently constituted. And I think the Packers are trending upward in a way that's going to have them really start to click here in the next few few weeks. Polls, poll time. Uh, people are confident this week. We got 59 votes in our Packers Patriot poll on Twitter. And uh, 98.3% of voters said the Packers would win on Sunday. I think that is our highest total of the season. What is for sure the highest figure of the season is uh, the number 100. 100%, in fact. That is the current approval rating for Packers special team coordinator Rich Bisaccia. He is the first of the big figures that we poll about. Uh, All of the coordinators, uh, head coach Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, Aaron Rodgers, he's the first one to hit 100% this week. All of those guys have been at 100% in the past. Bisaccia is the first one to get there this year. Well done, I guess, is my my really only thought there. Uh, Had a special teams player of the week this week in in Pat O'Donnell. Things look good on the punt coverage. If we could just figure out what's going on with Amari Rodgers in the the punt return game and get a little bit more consistent production out of him there, we'd really be in good shape. But really, no complaints to the Packers special team so far. I'll be interested to see what happens when Mason Crosby finally misses a field goal because it's going to happen. It may or may not be his fault, but we'll see what that does to the Bisaccia approval rating when that finally happens. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. Next time we talk, we'll be talking, hopefully, I believe so, about a Packers victory uh, over the Patriots on Sunday, and I'm excited to see how that plays out. hope you are excited to, to watch that play out as well. We are here in week four, almost a quarter of the way through the regular season. I have to say a quarter of the way through, or almost a quarter of the way through because of that 17th game now. Just don't divide neatly by four now. Really frustrating uh, that... Um, well, that very, very small thing is is no longer there. But I uh, hope you are enjoying the season so far. Just to, just remember how rare these things are, um, how few of these games we get every year, and how fun it can be to just enjoy them all together. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.